Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We've been tracking in the book of John, and we're now in John chapter 16, and as we've come to John chapter 16, we've come to a part of the scripture where Jesus actually is going to talk about why he speaks into your life, why we have the word of God, and how he wants us to respond to it. I want you to look quickly at John chapter 15, and we're going to spend our time in John 16, but I want you to look at John 15 verses 10 and 11. Jesus says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So one of the things that Jesus immediately states is, the reason why I want you to be obedient is to experience love, not to be a killjoy, not to actually cause you to have less life, but for more life. I want you to enjoy more of life through obedience. So immediate obedience should not be drudgery. It should actually be opportunity. But then he goes on to say, these things I've spoken to you. Another way you could put it is the reason why you have the word of God. The reason why you're in church today, listen, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Isn't that powerful? The reason why I've said these things to you is because I want you to experience joy. That means Jesus is the seeker of your joy. He wants you to experience full joy, abounding joy, and that's this imagery of full joy. Have you ever had an experience where someone comes up to you and they're really excited about seeing you, but you're just, you don't have that same energy for them. Like, have you ever had that moment? I know you've had that moment, Lou, praise God. But I, have you ever had that moment? Like, they come, with, they come to you with 100% energy, but you're, you're about 25%. He's like, hello, peace, peace be unto you. You know, you're just not, we just, we just, it's not, it's not the same. It's not this, I just don't know you like that, right? But now, now not, not all of us, but some of us, have been in the reverse. Like, you saw, you saw an old friend from school, right? But you didn't know they were holding on to that grudge, amen? So you ran, you're like, yo! But they didn't give you that same energy. You're like, okay, okay, fine. And you just walk away, right? So it's kind of weird, right? But have you ever had a moment where you've had a friend you've been waiting to see and they're excited to see you and you're excited to see them? You know, like you, you, you go to the restaurant and y'all are just cutting up. I mean, it's, ah, ka, ka, ka. you can't breathe and you're laughing and you see your boy and y'all bringing up stuff. And, and so it's not that they have joy or that you have joy. You have joy together. That's full joy. And the imagery he gives here is that, look, he didn't say, I want you to have joy. He says, I want my joy to be in you. I want us to have full joy. What's full joy? Full joy is the joy you bring to your family, the joy you bring to your community. Why? Because you're not having joy based upon you. You are experiencing the joy of Christ, and you are receiving joy and offering joy to the world. He says that's the point. The reason why we have the word, the words I've spoken to you, 
is so that you might have joy. Now, we're going to be challenged in this text because the context of this verse is essentially the disciples are being told of Jesus's imminent death. And Jesus, at the same time, is talking about departing. So the disciples, obviously, even though Jesus has said clearly that he was going to die, they're having a tough time because Jesus simultaneously is talking about departing and he's talking about his death. So this has caused sorrow in the disciples. So when we get to John 16, Jesus says, but because I have said these things, John 16 and 6, to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The imagery of filling your heart is this imagery that sorrow has come in, has rushed in, and pushed out the other emotions. Sorrow is now dominating. There's, you know, this is the moment where Jesus has washed feet, and Jesus has said many wonderful things to them. So they've had a number of different emotions, but he's saying, now I've said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. It's pushed out the other emotions. Now, when we get underneath this verse, Jesus is going to start challenging them to have joy in the midst of their sorrow. He's going to challenge the disciples. He expected the disciples to experience joy even through the weight of his departure. That's what we're going to look at here today. That means that challenges us. Because it challenges you and I to think of why, if we don't, why don't we consistently experience joy in our walk with Jesus? Now, some of you can make a very um, clear and specific case as to why you don't experience joy. You can tell me about your past. You, say, I have been, you don't know me. I've been through a lot. I've carried some deep weights in this life. Some of you are in relationships right now where you're like, if you understood the relationships I had, you would know why I don't have joy. Some of you don't have relationships. And you say, if you saw how lonely I was, how barren I am when it comes to my life, your job, your finances, your weight, all these different things can be things that cause you to say, I don't have enough. And that's why I don't have joy. Much of the way that we experience joy is we tend to get our emotional palate from what we receive in the day. We've had a good day. You've had good days when things are just working well. You've been trying to shed a few pounds and someone says, have you? And you go, chill, yes, <laughs> yes, right? You get a promotion. People, people are just being kinder to you that day and you, you, you receive it with joy. And, and what's happening is all these good things are now flowing to you like a river and you're receiving it. And so because goodness is flowing towards you, it fills you up and now goodness flows out of you. You're receiving a good day, so you're more patient with people. You're receiving a good day, so you're more kind to people. You're receiving a good day, so you can, you, you can accept that apology because you've received a good day. But watch out when you've had that bad day. Because when you've had that bad day, you detonate. And, 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 and when you've had a bad day, you just can't do one more Zoom call. I mean, you're just gonna flip out. And that person asks a question right before they end, and you're just like, really? 
you, you, you walk away and you're, you're frustrated, you go home and it's a little bit too loud. You put on headphones and you try to find something on Netflix and you can't find anything. And now you have emotional poverty because the day wasn't good, the day didn't flow to you good. And so your day is predicated on how it goes, what flows to you, and your, the, what, what flows from you is what flowed to you. The goodness comes from you if goodness came to you. And what is Jesus gonna challenge us with? Jesus is gonna challenge us to have this mentality, that life conditions don't dictate the heart's condition. That just because the day, the year, or the life has been bad, you can still have an abundant life. You don't have to receive your day. There is joy available in every context, every circumstance, and Jesus has rigged it that way. Didn't he just tell us that? The reason why I'm speaking to you is what? Joy. And so if you are not consistently experiencing joy as a pattern in your life, not as a static moment, but as a pattern in your life, then, then you want to challenge yourself to see the, the text and this text in particular in a different way. Part of maturing in the Christian life is becoming stronger at drawing on the joy of Christ. We, we, and the reason why we know this must be the case is because there are people who have tons of good days. Oh, they've got, they're, they're, they, are, they are wealthy. They've got, their bodies look incredible. They hit the DNA jackpot. And they are sad. Consistently. Days are going great, but they, they still are in emotional poverty. And yet, on the flip side, there are people who, they came from the mud. Rats and roaches. They came from a hard life. They have nothing. When you look at their family, they have nothing. They live check to check, and guess what? They are filled with joy. The day does not flow to them with goodness. They have something to draw from, and this is what Jesus is going to challenge us with as he challenges the disciples. Look here in John 16, verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. But you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, ultimately, what Jesus is talking about here is the resurrection. And he's talking about in his death, the world, that would be the context of the Romans and Jews, they will rejoice. You will feel sorrow. You will grieve and you will feel anguish. But he says, now listen to what he's going to say, but when my presence, when you're in my presence, things will change. Because essentially what he's saying is my, my presence changes the context of everything. And I want you to notice what he says. He didn't say your sorrow may turn into joy. He says your sorrow will turn into joy. That means he expects, he, Jesus has, has clarity about what he expects from your emotions based upon his presence in your life. He says you will have joy. My presence affects the emotional state. My commands affect 
the emotional state. I've rigged it that way. So if you are not being affected in your emotional state, there's something you're not getting. Have you ever been to a movie, like a funny movie or like a sad movie, right? And you loved it and you're just like, ah, you're dying laughing. Then you bring your friend and your friend's not into it. You ever had that weird moment? And you just like what they, you try, like you explain the joke. You're like what they was doing was, and right. And, and the reason why you're, you're like, you're bugged out. He's like, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't feel that. Like you don't feel the whole point of this hour and a half movie was for you to, no, nah, you don't get, so something's wrong. You don't get it. You don't, oh, oh, you don't get it. Right. And, and in the same way, what Jesus is saying is you don't feel that. You, you don't, you, oh, you don't get it. There, there's something you're not receiving from the text. There's something you're not drawing on. And so we want to make sure that you ultimately see the power of the word of God. So what is, so how does this process work? Because we don't want to act like we are, as Christians, in a constant state of joy. We know people who act like that and you can't stand them, right? Who, who pretend like they've never had problems, that they've never had any drudgery, that they don't have pain. No, this is what I want us to understand. Joy is an inevitable mark, but not an immediate mark of knowing Christ. Joy is an inevitable mark, but not an immediate mark of knowing Christ. It is the end game of knowing Christ. It is the fruit of knowing Christ. That's what this will result in, in knowing Christ. Joy will be produced in knowing Christ. That's, that's the thing he wants you to ultimately get is joy. Now in this inevitability, it is a process. It is a process. You, you think for a second about Jesus. Jesus he has to go with a cross up Golgotha. He has a cross on his back and he's tortured. Jesus, Jesus is forsaken by his father. Jesus is there with pain in his heart. And yet Jesus, this is what the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and two. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith for what? who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Set before him. He knew it would come. He expected it. He went through this process because he knew joy was an end game. He is our, he is our founder. So we see how he responds in faith, and yet we respond as well. But remember, even before the cross, what was it? The Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is struggling through this thing. But eventually he got to the place of joy. You know what the Bible says? And we often quote this in Psalm 30 and 5. Weeping may tarry or endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Man, that is such an encouraging verse. But if you take that verse out of its context, you may think weeping happens at night, but when I wake up, I'm just going to feel better. And in some, in some ways, we might think, I'm going to weep at night and have joy in the morning. But if you have that perspective, what you'll think is, oh, over time, I'll get better. How many of you know you've been hurt by people and time has not done that thing where they said, time heals all wounds? That was a lie. You still think about it like it was yesterday. No, it's not weeping may endure for the night and joy just happens to come in the morning. 
you got to read it in its context. You see, before Psalm 30 and 5 is Psalm 30 and 4. And Psalm 30 and 4 goes like this. Sing praises to the Lord. Oh, you saints, give thanks to his holy name. The Bible is basically saying you have a hard time and you will wrestle with it, cry about it, yell about it, be frustrated about it. But as you sing, what you're doing is you are reaching for the joy that is available to you in the midst of your sorrow, your pain, and your heartache. What the Bible is saying, that's why when you look throughout all the Psalms, you got to remember that these songs are commands. And one of the hardest things that we tend to forget is joy is a commandment, not a hope. It's not like, man, if you like, if you like, you like this, okay, cool, cool, cool. No, it's not like that. It's what, what, what does it change in our mind to think that joy is expected as a command? That maybe that, have you ever put lack of joy in the category of disobedience? Not, not saying you've got to constantly be joy, but what, but what I'm saying is if joy is not in the matrix or the framework of your Christian life, have you ever thought maybe there's something you're being disobedient to? And part of what we have to do is we have to come back to this idea that Jesus wants us to wrestle with him honestly. And as we wrestle with him honestly and we come to him with our full self, He's saying, ultimately, joy will be the outcome. Why? Because it's his presence. His presence, the, the full presence of Christ, brings about full joy. This imagery Jesus gives, we may struggle with it. But then Jesus gives an analogy. He says in John 16, verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Now the mothers can relate to this, amen? But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, I've seen a baby be born, praise God, okay? And ain't no joy in that room at first. There's a lot of nervousness, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of yelling, amen, right? And when you're in this moment, there is pain. And honestly, this is a lot of pain. And it's like overwhelming, right? And here's the thing that you can't miss in this text. And mothers know this. Pain is after the birth too, praise God. It wasn't, it's, not like the, it's not like it says you have the baby and pain no longer exists. It says you don't remember the pain. Now, the point that Jesus is making here is that when the baby is born, once that baby's born, what does the mother say? Show me the baby. Let me see that baby. Huh? And uh, my daughter Leah, who is basically a facsimile of my face, I, we, she was born and I looked at her. My wife was like, is she healthy? I was like, she looked just like me. That's the first thing I said. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this could happen. But she looked exactly like me, right? Every mother that's had the baby, she goes, let me see the baby. I want to see the baby. And the minute they see the baby, they hold the baby. 
They look at the baby. They feel the baby. And as she's sitting there in pain, she's holding the baby. Both of these things are happening at the same time. Joy and pain, sorrow from, going, from what they went through, but the joy of holding that baby. And that is the imagery Jesus gives. He does not say you don't remember the pain. He says the pain is now dominated by the joy of the baby. It's overwhelmed by the joy of the baby. This is the imagery Jesus gives. Many of our efforts, many of our efforts to take away the pain in this life is really us trying to get a better day. Us trying to, to create the kind of stimulation of seeing the baby, something that would dominate, overwhelm, fill my heart to the point where I don't think about the pain. Many ways we want a, a better day and we change our context, we change our conditions. So we go on vacation. Because we, if I go on vacation, if I go to Cancun, that'll be a better day. We want a better day, so we drink. Because if I can drink to the point where I just don't have to feel, I'll have a better day. We want to get into a new relationship because if I have a new relationship, I'll have a, a better day. We want a new job because this job is just wearing me out. But if I had a new job, I'd have a better day. From vacations to jobs to our bodies, we want a better day, a brighter day. We want better lives to flow to us so we can have more enjoyment in our lives. And in many ways, if we don't get any of those things, one of the best ways that we see this, this kind of pattern is our hunger for the weekend, amen? We just let me, just let me get to the weekend. And so we figure we can do something on the weekend to take away. And what's happening is that we want that, that baby-like stimulation to happen on the weekend so I can somehow endure. But what happens on Monday? Labor pain. You go back to work. You deal with the same people. And you go from this good day, bad day split constantly. And because of that, it drains us. Oh, man. You know, on, on Mother's Day, you know what's so interesting is uh, wives, moms, kids get older, right? And my wife and I, we could be sitting in bed, and one of my kids does something, and she just is so tired. She's like, I cannot believe she did that. I mean, I just can't. I just can't, but I just... And then if she does this, and you know, I just... And then what'll happen? Um, the, the iPhone has done this thing where they now take old photos and they just kind of have them pop up on your phone now, like just randomly. So my wife will literally be sitting there like, I just cannot, and I just, and then, and then an old picture of our daughter will come up like, oh, well, look at that, what the, oh, what the, what the, what the, what the, what the, and you're just like, what just, 
What just happened? And, and what happens is she's looking at the baby. And by looking at the baby, she's remembering the joy of that moment. And what Jesus is saying, the words that we speak is like looking at the baby. Because you look at that old rugged cross and how you came to an existence with Jesus. You look at the promises of God as like looking at the baby. It's like you remember how he is so good and how he has so much peace. You look back at what he brought you through. It's like looking at the baby. It just brings you to a place of, oh, it was so good and so powerful. You look through the Psalms. It's like looking at the baby. You look at all these songs and the Psalms that get you to a place of just having joy. What I'm trying to tell you is if you're waiting on life to bring something about, I don't want you to do that. I want you to just look at the baby and let it bring about the joy that God has intended for you in the midst of pain. In the midst of heartache, that's the point. You're waiting on the wrong day. You're waiting on that person. You're waiting, you're waiting for your boss to change. You're waiting for a new apartment. Stop waiting and get aggressive about joy. Reach for joy. Don't wait on a better day. Reach for the better joy that he has for you. And guess what? He has joy today for you. He has joy today for you. Don't wait. The weekend does not have it. The vacation does not have it. And, it, it, and, and I'm telling you, the, the weight of depression hits harder when you've had a good day or a good weekend and you come back to the same thing. There's a bitterness that comes with that. Your emotional palate was meant for Jesus. The emotional patterns of your life are meant for Jesus. Only the creator knows how you're supposed to feel. And he has intended, he's rigged the words he has spoken for you to experience joy. But he has not rigged life that way. If you go back to the text, he says, you will experience sorrow. You will. So he's, he's not rigged life. Li joy in life is not promised. Joy in Christ is promised. And that's two different philosophies of life. That's two different ways of looking at life and two different ways of experiencing life. And so Jesus in this text wants us to see the joy of that baby. Can you imagine a mom? Can you imagine a mom talking about a baby, right? Because you know, it's not just that the mom wants to see the baby. All the friends want to see the baby, right? Grandma wants to see the baby. Family wants to see the baby. What if mom, after she has the baby, only has pictures of her having the baby, but not the baby? She's like, look, I'm right. It's like, okay, girl, you sweating. <laughs> wow, girl. Can I see the baby? <laughs> and, and, all, and all they talk about is all they talk about is struggle. See, some of you, that's your Christian life. You only talk about the struggle, but you don't know the joy. In other words, you don't stare at the, you're not in your word. So you never stare at the baby. You, you stare at the labor, but you don't stare at the baby. Everybody wants to stare at the baby. When you stare at the baby, that, no one's staring, no one's staring at, there ain't nobody, Mother's Day is the weirdest thing because nobody wants to look at the mama. I mean, Mother's Day we do, but at the day of the, every birthday should be a celebration, every birthday should be Mother's Day, praise God, because the baby didn't do nothing that day. 
They didn't do anything. I mean, that is the laziest job description in the world. I just breathed and everybody got into me. Everybody celebrated me. We celebrate the oxygen in your lungs once a year. Like you did nothing. Mom did everything. But the point is people wanted to see the baby. It's called a birthday. They're celebrating when you came about. You have to redesign your life to stop always considering the labor and stay fixated on the baby. Stare at the child. And as you stare at the child, as you stare at the word, as you stare at his joy, his joy now affects your joy. Your mother said, be careful about the people you're around. Why? You start to act like them. Jesus is saying, don't be careful. Be, be around me. I want you to have full joy. I want your joy to be complete. Weekend joy is incomplete joy. Vacation joy is just simply incomplete joy. New, new boo joy is incomplete joy. New job joy is incomplete joy. Promotion joy is incomplete joy. Only in Jesus do you have full joy. Because I know people living check to check that are full of joy in Christ. You don't, need to, you don't need anything new. You need the fullness of Jesus. And so here in this text, we see that Jesus says something very powerful. And I want you to hold on to this. If you hold on to nothing else, I want you to hear the power of Jesus' words here. Jesus says in John 16 and 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. He's talking about the resurrection. And he says, listen, no one will take your joy from you. That's prophetic, isn't it? That's, that's a very powerful, no one will take your joy from you. How does Jesus say something so powerful as no one will take your joy from you? Now I want you to just pause for a second and I want you to ask yourself, has joy been taken from you? Another way to put it is, who's been taking your joy? He just said, no one will take your joy from you. Why aren't you experiencing the pattern of joy? Someone is taking your joy. The way to have this imagery of anchored joy, immovable joy, a static joy, a joy that won't leave based upon conditions, a joy that won't leave based upon something new or something old, based upon a relationship. How can I have a joy that's anchored? And when he says no one can take it from you, what he's saying is, I've deposited joy in you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I have deposited joy in you. And through that deposit, no one can take it. But even though no one can take your joy, that does not mean you'll utilize the joy that you have in you. 
It's like having a treasure where he says no one can take the treasure. That doesn't mean you're living off the benefits of that treasure. And he's saying no one can take your joy. The question is, are you utilizing the joy that he's deposited in you? When I moved here to uh, Brooklyn, I had the, you know, I grew up, I grew up outside the city. So I grew up in suburban life. And so when I moved to the South, I lived in Southern life. Even though I was in different cities, I still lived in, you know, the South. So when I moved to Brooklyn and we got our first apartment in Brooklyn, there was an eye-opening experience. Because it was cold, as the young folks say, brick outside. It was freezing outside. It, we were having this thing called a polar vortex. It was freezing. And so it got really cold one night. This was 2013. My wife and I, we had just moved into our apartment. And so my wife says, honey, where's the thermostat? And I said, I don't even know. She said, well, go ask the neighbor where the thermostat is. I said, bet. I walk across the hall. Boom, boom, boom. Hello, neighbor. She said, hello. I said, ma'am, do tell me. I am from the South. Would you please... Please tell me, where is the thermostat in your apartment? Because we're looking for it in ours. And she paused. <laughs> and her neck just tilted to the side. And her body just kind of rocked like this. And she said, you're from the South? I said, well, you know, I'm from New York. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not used to this. So, you know, where's the heater? Where's the thermostat? She says, there is no thermostat. I said, excuse me? She goes, no, 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 no. There's, there's no thermostat in your apartment. I said, so how does the heat come on? She goes, that's a good question. I said, just, just, just tell me. What? So seriously, like, how's it going? Well, she said, well, it's whenever the landlord turns it on, and when it turns it on, it gonna, it's not going to go off for a while. This is going to be, this is called project heat, praise God. So it's, it's going to stay on for quite a while. I said, so we just kind of just have to wait for whenever the heat comes on. She goes, yes, because there's no thermostat. But we moved to a new apartment, Amen. And we have a thermostat now. And I know in New York, that's a flex, amen, which is sad. It's very sad, but that's, listen, we moved and uh, we went in there and we get the, uh, the, the, the thermostat did not work at first. So we're just like triggered, like, nah, we paid for a thermostat, you know, so we're like bugging out, right? And... We get the thermostat, and it's not working, and so the guy comes out, and um, the ceilings are high, and so he turns it on, and you hear it, doof. 
he comes on. And I go, okay, so it's on? He goes, yep, it's on. He says, you hear it? I say, yeah. And he's about to leave. I said, no, 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 because we asked the guy to come out before and we asked him to work and it didn't work. So we're like, I'm just stay right here. And he goes, no, no, it'll come on. I said, no, no, just, just, just wait right here. He goes, no, it's coming. It's coming. Dude, don't you hear it? I go, but just wait. He says, sir, you have a thermostat. You'll be able to turn it on and off all you want. And I'm just, I'm like, I'm going through emotions. Like, please don't leave. I want to have my own thermostat, my own heat, you know? So I'm going all through these changes and finally the heat comes on. It comes on. And this is the way a thermostat is set up. If it's two degrees outside, you can crank up your thermostat to the place where you're warm inside, even though it's cold outside. You don't have to actually be concerned about the conditions on the outside because you got a thermostat on the inside. You see, when you ain't got a thermostat, you have to be subject to the conditions on the outside. You got to wait for the conditions to change on the outside. But when you have a thermostat that's been given to you and deposited inside, you don't have to worry. Just wait on it. The heat is coming. The heat is coming. The heat is coming. The heat is coming. And, and what I'm saying is joy, if this is true, that joy is obedience, that means joy is a discipline. And maybe it's been a little broken inside of you. But you sit. You sit with Jesus. He'll fix it. And you just sit with those scriptures. And you cry. And you mourn. And you yell. And you shout. And you get frustrated. But it's coming. The heat's coming. Because the thermostat is in you. And we live. I don't know if you know this. We live in a cold world. But you can have a warm heart in a cold world. Have you lost human love? You will be sad, of course, but you haven't lost divine love. Have you lost human connection and relationship? Of course you'll be sad, but you haven't lost the connection of Jesus. And every time you let the coldness of the world, let it be cold inside you, you ignore the Holy Spirit thermostat inside of you that can turn up the heat. And I, I charge you in the name of Jesus to start living a pattern of joy. And I want you to look at joy as a mark of obedience in your life. That you sit there with the scriptures. That you let the word of God do its thing inside of you. Let it change you. And then that warmth see, the reason why God gives you a new job, the reason why he'll give you a new relationship is that he wants you to bring his joy in a new environment. He didn't make you to get joy from that environment. He didn't place you there so that you could get joy from it. That's why it's not enough. Because you're at, you've given that job a divine uh, assignment, and it's not meant for that. You've given people divine assignments, and they're not meant for that. So you're trying to get joy from kids. How many mothers in here were like, man, I cannot wait to have a baby. I cannot wait to have a baby. I can't wait to have a baby. Then you had kids who are like, I cannot wait to get away from these kids. I just cannot wait. Give me a weekend. Where is mom, right? Because you know kids are great, but. And a new relationship is great, but. 
and a new job is great, but, and there's something inside of you that says, if I could lose 10 pounds, if I could get a new job, if I could just get into a new relationship, there's something set up, rigged in our minds to think that joy is available by a new condition or a new circumstance, and it is a lie. That's why you're not experiencing joy. But the joy he gives can't be taken. It can't be taken, can't be taken, can't be taken. Hell can't take it away. Life can't take it away. Nothing can separate you from the joy of Jesus. And so I pray today that you would renew your mind, that as you've done sitting down with the Word of God, that you would know the end game is the joy of the Holy Spirit filling your heart, filling a room, and affecting the people around you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the wealth of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the richness of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the abundance that you offer us in Christ. Now, God, forgive us for living in emotional poverty because we've been waiting on something new. Forgive us for living in emotional poverty because we think a new thing will change our inner man. God, remind us that we have a thermostat inside of us, heating up our world. Cause us to reach for joy and never let us forget to stare at the baby. In Jesus' name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.